the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. In today's episode, we're sharing a presentation from MaxLawCon 2020. Our originally scheduled MaxLawCon speaker, Marco Brown, presented live to the Maximum Lawyer Guild community. And today we share his talk, your number one job as an attorney, get paid. Let's get to it. Okay, so my name is Marco Brown. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to everybody about this. Sorry that we're not in St. Louis in June doing all this, but we're here. This is the world we live in. Okay, so I'm a divorce attorney in Salt Lake City, opened my own firm in 2010, and I'll give a little bit of background there. Family-wise, I'm married to a very nice woman who has not divorced me, thankfully. Being a divorce attorney, I go home every day and say, thank you, don't don't divorce me. Uh, we have a couple kids, one's 12, he's adopted, and one is about two, and he's a little IVF baby, so we've had an interesting kind of family background and, and time of it. but. Great little, great little kids. I tend to travel a lot to deal with my stress. We go to Europe all the time. Anybody who knows me knows I talk about Italy constantly and about food because I, I love those two things. So that's a little bit about me personally. And then I'll introduce what we're going to talk about. The, the title is your number one job as an attorney, get paid. And I'm going to go through some rules here about getting paid. But first, I'm going to talk about my experience and then the, the problem that led me to come up with these rules. So my experience in 2010, I started my firm, zero clients, zero network. We had just come back to Salt Lake City and I had nothing and it was not a good time. 2010 is not a good time to be an attorney. They were shutting down firms in, in Chicago and LA and New York. And I decided I was going to open up, you know, one man shop, not a great idea. Thankfully it worked out, but I learned a ton doing this. And in the beginning, uh, I was terrible at, you know, a lot of things and, but I made it work. And then in about 2015, it was a real seminal year for me. So I had had, I had had some success with things. I was the voted the divorce lawyer of the year in Utah by the bar and my peers. And I thought that was really great. So I thought I kind of made it. And then about two days after receiving that award, I realized that I had all the exact same problems that I had before the award. I just had an award at that point. So I decided that I was going to fix things. And the first thing 
as I examined what to fix, the first thing I decided on was I was going to get paid 100% for the work I was already doing. I was thinking like, how do I, you know, how do I solve these problems? And, you know, cash helps solve problems. And I thought, well, I'm already doing this work, but I'm only getting paid back then. I think it was probably 65 cents on the dollar. I don't even know. And I decided, okay, well, I'm going to change that. I'm going to get paid 100% for it. So that was the big, that was the first huge change I made in the law firm. And then everything kind of trickled. There were lots and lots of other changes, but everything kind of trickles down from that. So this is the the distillation of the rules that I came up with and trying to figure out how to get paid hundred percent. And I am not the only one who, who's going through this problem. So this is a very rampant problem among attorneys in America, especially solos and solos account for about 56% of American attorneys. And so, so I'm just going to read off some data here. And this is from, if I remember correctly, this is from LegalZoom in 2015. Solos are 56% of American attorneys. Average revenue numbers for a solo is $78,000 a year. And the average profit is $63,000 a year. 392 hours billed per year for a solo. These numbers are terrible. I mean, I, I don't know why you become an attorney if you're going to make $63,000 a year. So not, not okay. That, that, that's, that's a portion of the problem. And then Clio has this great uh, legal trends report they put out every year and they've been doing it for a while now. It's absolutely fantastic data and it's good behavior data. So it's not like survey data. Survey data is that kind of thing. How many times do you work out a week and you say five and you really go on a walk on like Sundays, right? So survey data is just a whole bunch of lying. But behavioral data is really what you do. And this behavioral data is, is amazing. So the average attorney works about eight hours a day, bills somewhere in the neighborhood of about 2.5 hours per day, and then collects 1.7 hours per day. Okay. This is behavioral data. People are not lying about this stuff. This is actually what's happening. So 1.7 hours a day out of eight is 21%. And it, this goes up and down a little bit. At the beginning, I think it was 1.6 hours a day, and it went up to 1.8 hours a day. The latest is 1.7 hours a day. So we have a very, very big problem here. And what this translates into is us as attorneys doing work that we're not getting paid for. And then we have amazing amounts of stress in our life and we drink a lot and we snort cocaine or we do whatever we're doing, right? And and we get divorced and it's just not, it's not good at all. So this is the first problem I fixed in my firm. And this is the problem I tell everybody to fix in their firm. Absolute first thing, because you will never get a higher ROI for in your firm anywhere than just determining that you're going to get paid hundred percent for the work you do, because you do not have to spend any money to do this. Everything I'm going to talk to you about with the exception of one thing, you don't have to spend any more money on. So highest ROI, just start doing it. Okay. The other thing I want to talk about before we get to the rules is the amount of time it takes lawyers to get paid. So on average, this is again, Clio data. The average lawyer takes about 87 days to, from the time they build the work to the time they send out, the invoice on the work done. Then it takes about 83 days from the time they send out the invoice until they actually get paid, which is a grand total of 170 days. So an average of about six months to get paid uh, for work that, that was done from the time it was done until they actually get paid. Not, not good stuff at all. Lots and lots of data out there that once you let it get past about 60 days, maybe 90 days, your likelihood of getting paid on an invoice goes down very, very dramatically, like orders of magnitude down. So we're going to talk about that. Okay. 
So we're going to go through these rules. I usually will do this in about a 60 minute format, but I'm going to, I'm going to bust through these quickly. If you have any questions at all during this process about any of the rules or anything else, ask, and we'll do a Q and A at the end. Totally fine with that. In fact, I like the Q and A portion of this almost more than anything else. So, all right, let's go through rules. There are eight. Rule number one is change your mindset about money and getting paid. The first people to teach us as lawyers about money are our, le- our law professors. And bless their souls, they're bureaucrats and they have no idea what they're talking about. So they sit around and they think about stuff, but really they're bureaucrats. They're paid by either a school or by the government to do these things. They don't know what it's like to go out and kill stuff and, and take it home to the cave and eat it, right? They, they don't have to go find it. Ter- they don't have to sell anything. To, to pay their mortgage, okay? They have no idea what they're talking about when it comes to money. And they'll say things like, I remember in law school, they said things like, your number one job as an attorney is to do good. I, I don't know what that means, to be honest with you. Like my number one job as an attorney is to feed my family and then help my team feed their family. That, that's the real world. So we have to change our mindsets about these things. And then the, the second group of people to talk to us about money as attorneys is the bar. So you go and you get barred and the bar just talks to you about pro bono work like 90% of the time. I don't need, I don't know if there's any other subject in, in the Utah bar that they know anything about other than asking us for pro bono hours. Right. And I'm pretty sure that most bars are kind of like this talk about diversity every once in a while, but like 90% of it is, is pro bono hours. Again, they're bureaucrats. They have no idea what they're talking about. They're just trying to get, give it us to give our way our stuff for free. So no, like our number one job is to get paid and you doing that allows you to give stuff away for free. So you got to change your mindset about money. Okay. Number two, rule number two is bill regularly. Like that data I talked about before, 87 days from the time you do work until you send out an invoice is not going to cut it. You're just going to lose huge amounts of money doing stuff like that. Our clients hate getting invoices that, you know, that long from work done way long ago. We, we get embarrassed about it. So we just don't try as hard. You just don't get paid as much. So you need to bill regularly. You need to bill at least once per month. I, uh, so I didn't do it on the first this month, but I got up at five uh, this morning and I build and I get it done. Usually I do it on the first. I'll wake up about five. I bill everything. So when I come into the office at eight 30 or nine, like billing is completely done. If I don't do that and I let it get to the third or the fourth, then maybe it gets to the 10th and uh, I have a very hard time getting everything out. So you just got to set aside time and, and get this stuff done. It has to be the first thing on your calendar, block off all time. There's absolutely no phone calls. There's nothing else. You get your billing done and you get it out and that's how it goes. So I say at least once per month, you can do it more than once per month if you want to. I have a friend who does it every Monday morning she bills and that works for her. That does not work for me. I tried that. I experiment with a lot of things and I tried that and my office manager and uh, the rest of my team almost quit because it just, it was not good for us. So I do it once a month, but if you want to do it every two weeks, that makes a lot of sense to me, but at least once a month. Number three, rule number three, don't chase money. And I define chasing money as doing essentially anything, taking any type of case or doing anything you normally wouldn't do that you're not terribly comfortable with, but you're, you're doing it anyway. Okay. Because every one of those situations, the reason you're doing it, the reason you're doing, you're taking cases you don't know anything about, or the reason you're doing things you're uncomfortable with, like, you know, decreasing hours, hourly rates is because you're chasing cash. You just want somebody to pay you. And I get it. Uh, we're all going through COVID right now. I just got to be honest. I'm scared in my mind every day. 
Uh, I, I really am. So I understand the chasing money aspect of it, but it never ends well. It does not end well at all. So some examples of this, taking cases you don't normally take because you need to, doing work when the client isn't paying you, doing work because your client promises that he or she will pay you a little bit later, uh, discounting your hourly fee or your retainer. I love, love having never discount your retainer. Oh, taking clients when your gut tells you don't take this. I mean, that, that, little, that little voice in your head that says, no, this is not a good idea. Listen to that voice all the time. That voice is, is right 100% of the time. So just listen to your gut and go with it. Doing your friend or your congregation member a favor, right? Favors are, are it's like code for how am I going to mess this up in this case. So just don't do stuff like that. Really, you're just chasing cash. You just want some cash in, in the bank. And then you think, oh, I'll figure it out. Right. And, and I, again, I get this, you, know, you look at these personal injury cases and you think, oh, these PI guys do it. They're, they're not that bright. Right. I can do this stuff. Just don't, <laughs> don't, don't do that sort of thing. You're just going to mess things up. Don't chase the cash. Just stay within your wheelhouse and, and you're going to be okay. Okay. Rule number four, always have money in trust. I call this the banana stand rule. If, uh, if you catch on to that reference, the thing is that you just, you have to have money in trust because your relationship with your client changes when you get to $0 and in the negative, right? When they owe you $2,000 that you have a totally different relationship when compared to when you have $2,000 in a retainer, essentially when they owe you money, you become their banker. And then all you're doing is bugging them about getting paid and everybody hates their banker and everyone hates the person bugging them about getting paid. So just don't do it. Just have money in trust all the time. A couple other things about this. You're more likely to get bad Google reviews if you let people get into the negative and then finish up a case in the negative. I don't know why this is, but this, this is just an experience that I've had in, in our law firm. Let's say you get those cases and we all do it or we've all done it, where you, somebody owes you two, three, four thousand $4,000 and you think, uh, I'll just do a great job for them and I'll finish it out and they'll pay me. Well, the, first they ain't going to pay you, right? You get done with a the case, they're not paying you. That money's just gone. And then two, they feel guilty about it at the end of the case. So if, even if you did great work for them and they owe you a couple thousand dollars and you go to try to get paid, you're much more likely to get a one-star Google review because you're bugging them about it. Then if you cut them off, let's say, you know, they, they haven't paid and you cut them off before finishing the case, but they still have money and you give them a check back, right? And they still have some money in the retainer, you give them a check back. You're much less likely to get a bad Google review. I don't know why this is, but uh, I've just found this to be true. So think about that and always have money in trust. Okay. Now the rule of thumb for how much money you should have in trust is you want essentially you want enough money and trust to cover the worst month you're going to have in the type of case that you're running. So in divorce, that for us would be about like our worst month, if it's a protective order and temporary orders, it's probably going to be about $8,000. I mean, if everything just hits the fan at the same time, it's going to be about 8,000 bucks. That's too high though. Now, there aren't very, very many people who are going to pop down $8,000 for a retainer. So what I do, I mean, that's the ideal world, right? But what I do is I'll back that off to like the 95th percentile bad case. And once you do that, you're really going to lower that number because your worst case is going to be way, way up here. And then the 95th percentile is going to be like down here. So that's what I do. I just look at the data and I think, okay, like 95th, that's going to put me somewhere in this neighborhood. 
And then we make our retainer based on that. So if you can, you're a good enough salesperson and you can get, you know, eight, 10, $15,000 out of somebody to cover like the absolute worst month that you could possibly have, then you do exactly that. If not, back it down a little bit to the 95th percentile and that's going to work well for you. All right. So rule number five, if your client doesn't have money in trust, you stop work, stop work right now. You just stop work. This is the way this, this is the way this happens. So rule four is always have money in trust. You're going to have some, some money, two, three, four, five thousand $5,000, whatever it is. If your client doesn't pay, then you have to stop work. And we're going to talk about the ethics of this in a second, but really you just have to stop. Now you have to have a clear trigger for this. So our clear trigger is on the 20th of the month, we bill credit cards. So we've gone through, we, we bill the credit cards to get the retainers back up to our retainer amount. And then if that doesn't go through, that payment doesn't go through, automatically we stop work. The office manager sends out an email to our client or a text to our client says, hey, this was declined. We need to talk about this. We have to stop work until we, until we get it back up there. And then the office manager also communicates with me and the attorney on the case and says, hey, it's been declined. We need to stop work. So we use Slack as an internal communication tool. So the Slack goes out to everybody, but it's instantaneous. Before she moves on to the next payment, she's doing all of these things. So we, so everybody, all the parties know exactly what's going on and that work has stopped. You have to have these clear triggers to do that. And you need to tell your clients what those triggers are when you start the case. Because if they don't know what your system's going to be, they're going to get upset about it. So you just got to tell them, hey, look, we're going to do this. This is the date we're going to do it. If you don't pay on this date, then we're going to stop work until we do get paid. And amazingly, when they'll pay. So when we do this, when we have to stop, it takes about, you know, on average, about 48 hours to get paid again. Because half the time, like a good 50% of the time, they just need to go get another credit card authorization and they haven't given that to us or their credit card you know, expired or something like that. So that happens very quickly. The vast majority of times we get, we get paid within 48 hours, maybe a week or something like that. So the ethical component of this that I always get asked about is, well, I can't stop work because that's, you know, that's unethical and I'm prejudicing my clients. Well, no, you're not. So the vast majority of the time you're not doing that at all. You have enough time to between before a hearing or something, you know, something like that to stop work and get paid. If however, you run your ship where if they don't pay, then you're gonna get sucked into two, three, four thousand dollars, then you need to rethink your system, right? You need to look at your cases and you need to backtrack from that. Okay, when do I need to get paid in order to do these things? So it's all about planning. And and you know if it, if your system is just chaos, you're gonna lose a ton of cash. If you plan better, do these things, you're going to get paid 100% for the work you do. So now there are times when, you know, you run on the 20th and you have a hearing on the 21st and you're stuck. You got you to gotta go do the hearing. That's when the retainer comes in. So you need to have a sufficient amount of retainer to cover that, that sort of thing. And that's when you need to sit down with your data and really determine where your retainer is. And if your retainer is not high enough to cover those situations, then you need to up your retainer. Okay. And if you have a problem selling the retainer where it is or, or an increased retainer, then what you have is a sales problem and you need to learn sales and you need to learn closing better. You need to learn value, like how you express the value and these sorts of things. And if anybody has a question about books to be able to help, uh, help you do that, 
because attorneys are not naturally good salespeople, then ask me and I'll give you suggestions on some books that really helped me out to increase my ability to sell and close clients. So, okay, that's number five. Number six is specialize. And what I mean by specialize is do one thing, one thing and one thing only. Attorneys, bless our souls, have the idea that we can do like 50 things because we think we're too smart and we're not. Just realize that if you want to be extraordinarily good at one thing, then you got to be, you got to just do one thing, right? So if you live in a, in a metropolitan area or someplace with a population base that allows you to do just one thing, specialize and do one thing. You will make more money and you will spend less time making more money. And we know that you will make more money because we can look at doctors to see this. Okay. So a, a, a family practice doctor, totally general doctor is going to make about a hundred and we got about 125 to $150,000 a year in America. A general surgeon, right? A mid-level specialist is going to make probably in my cases or any indication about $500,000 a year. If you get a brain surgeon, a highly specialized specialist, right? A brain surgeon, that's going to be like a million dollars a year. So the more specialized somebody gets, the more money they command. And that's the principle here is you want to command as much money as possible. And when you do that, you actually spend less time doing it because you're not reinventing the wheel. You're just doing it and you know all the answers. Like any more, I, I think once out of every, happens once every six months, I won't know the answer to something and I'll have to go look at it just because I've done this every day, all day long for 10 years, right? And I make so much more money now than I ever did when I was trying to be a generalist. So specialize as much as possible. If you are in a, a place without a population that allows you to specialize in one thing, specialize in two things. I, I never recommend people do any more than two. If you need to do three, you probably just need to move someplace bigger. Hey guys, it's Becca here. I'm sure you've heard Jim and Tyson mention the Guild on the podcast and in the Facebook group. That's because we're seeing some really exciting things happening with Guild members and their businesses. The Guild is this perfect mix of a community, group coaching, and a mastermind. Inside, you'll gain support, tap into a network of connections, and continue learning, a common theme among successful entrepreneurs. There are so many benefits inside the Guild including weekly live events and discounts to all Maximum Lawyer events. Head over to MaximumLawyer.com forward slash the guild to check out all of the benefits and watch a few testimonials from current members. Investing in a community is like the self-care of business ownership. Being in a community with other people who get it is crucial when you're creating a rock solid foundation to build your business on. One that's strong enough to withstand setbacks, transitions, and growth. So head to MaximumLawyer.com and click on the Guild page to join us. Now, let's get back to the episode. Number seven, this is my, this is my favorite one. So this is where the rubber really meets the road. You need to fire your worst client today. That's, this, that's the rule. Now, when I said fire your worst client, you had a mental image that came up of, of a person's face. That's the person you want to fire because your brain is telling you, I hate this guy or I hate this lady. So fire that person. Just go, just go do it because I guarantee that face is the face your assistant sees and wants you to fire as well if you do the same thing. Like if you say, who, who's, your, who's your worst? Like that's going to be that's going to be the face. So just go fire the person. Now the idea here is that you fire this person and then you, you get rid of all the drama, right? Because it's an economic principle. It's the eighty twenty principle. So about eighty percent of our revenues are going to come from about twenty percent of our clients, and eighty percent of the pain in our rear end is 
is going to come from 20% of our clients. And they're never like the same people. This, the people that really annoy us and take all of our time and, and, and make our firm terrible are never the, the ones that actually pay us all this stuff. They're just bad clients. Like they're never a clients. They're, they're never 100% payers. They're almost never 100% payers. So what you're doing is, is you're allowing these people to suck your time and your attention away from those people who are paying you most, uh, most often and the most money. So just get rid of them. You will make more money doing this. You will have more time when you do this. And the, the, another added benefit here is that your legal assistant and your, the, the people that work in your office with you, they will love you. Because if you think you hate this client, imagine how much they hate this client. The ones that actually are, are dealing with this person every day while, while you're you know, dealing with other cases. So they will love you and, and it will just ratchet down the temperature in your law office and you'll end up keeping employees much longer if you do this. Now, this is a kind of a self-perpetuating rule. So once you fire that worst client, you're going to figure out how much you enjoy it. And then you're going to go fire the other worst client until you kind of fire all the bad clients. So you get to the, get to the point where you fire the F clients and you fire the D clients. And you want to get to the point where you have, maybe you keep some C clients, although I wouldn't do that. But you want to get to the point where you've fired everybody up until your B clients. So you just want A and B clients remaining. And at that point, you're going to make so much more money and enjoy your job so much more. Because dealing with A clients who pay you, is literally like a hundred times more enjoyable than dealing with F clients who aren't paying you. So let this perpetuate itself. Just keep going. Oh, and I got I got to backtrack on on one thing. So when you structure all of this that I'm that I'm talking about and, and getting paid, you need to have somebody who is in charge of getting paid. Okay. So you need to have systems in place, and you need to have triggers in place. And you need to have somebody in charge of that system. That person cannot be an attorney. Attorneys are absolutely awful at this stuff. Attorneys just want to come attorney for the most part. I mean, maybe some attorneys are rainmakers, but rainmakers aren't good at getting paid either because that's a different skill set. And just normal attorneys who are kind of come in and, you know, grind out the hours and leave, they hate getting, they hate the whole payment thing. So don't have an attorney do it. Hire somebody specifically to run this aspect of your law firm. And I would tell you to hire that person first, hire that person before you hire somebody to answer the phones, which is the, the absolute worst thing in a law firm is answering those phones. But anyway, I'm an, I'm an answer phone for a very long time. There's a reason I don't even have a phone in my office because I dislike it so much. But that said, hire the person who is going to run your getting paid system, right? Your collection system. That's the highest ROI employee you will ever have in your law firm, including attorneys. So hire that person right off the bat. Okay. And then eight. So this is the last rule. Make you, your family, and your team your first priority. So we're taught as business people to make our clients our first priority. That's totally wrong, right? The client's always right. Nope. Absolutely incorrect. So you need to make you yourself, your family, and your team your first priority. When you make your clients your first priority and you think that they're always right, then you're going to spend way too much time on your cases. You're going to be into it too much. You're not going to get paid because they're going to give you a sob story and you're going to say, oh, okay, I understand you're right. But you're going to do all these things and it's just not going to go well, right? You're going to get burned out. You can do this for five, maybe 10 years, but you're never really going to be top on your game because you're burned out so much. You're not sleeping well. You're nervous all the time about money. 
all of these things. You're just not going to be on the top of your game. Okay. So that's when you put your clients first, when you put yourself, your, your team first, you are doing what I've talked about in here, which is you're firing bad clients. You're getting paid. You're taking vacations because you're taking care of yourself. You're getting sleep. You're getting eight hours of sleep a night, which is what you should be getting. If you're getting less than that, you need to really rethink your life and retool some things. There's a lot of incredibly good research on this. There's a guy named Matthew Walker who wrote a book, Why We Sleep, and he lays everything out. People who don't sleep well, sleep under six hours a night, are on average going to die 10 years younger than they should and have all sorts of health problems before that. So you're taking care of yourself, sleeping at night, you're doing you know, what you need to spiritually to keep yourself going. You're doing all of these things. You're putting yourself first. You're doing the same for your family. You're doing the same for your team. That is going to make you a good attorney. That is going to make you a sustainable attorney. You're not going to be doing it for five or 10 years and want to get out. You do this stuff. You're going to want to do this for 30 years. You're going to, you're going to love your job like nothing else because you picked good clients. You're getting paid for your work. You're highly respected. You're able to take the time with cases that you need to be respected by your, your peers, your colleagues, and by judges. It's a totally different world when you decide to get paid 100% and you decide to put yourself first. So that is the end of number eight. Awesome. So the only thing that we have right now is Tracy was interested in those books that you had mentioned, um, the sales mm -hmm. books. What were a couple of those? So the number one is the Closer Survival Guide by a guy named Grant Cardone. That's the number one sales and, and closing book, number one business book I've ever read. Uh, I think I've read it uh, 23 times. It's, uh, it's incredible. So there's that. And then there's Seller Be Sold by Grant Cardone as well. So Grant Cardone is fantastic in this space. I, I read those two books fairly often. The other, yeah, those are the, those are the sales and closing books that I would, that I would recommend. Awesome. All right. Yep. That's the only question that we have so far. You said you might have something else to add on that. Oh yeah. So a couple other things here. When you're discussing systems, ask yourself, what would this look like if it were easy, right? When you're putting, when you're putting together a system, ask yourself that question. And then whatever is the easiest, then go with that as your system. So there, there's this idea that the more complicated you make a system, the more likely it is to fail. And I mean, catastrophically fail. So very, very complex systems fail catastrophically all the time. And you just don't need that, right? We, we don't need terribly sophisticated, complicated systems as attorneys. We, we have cases, we bring people in, we get them to hire us, we do legal work, and we build them for it. Like, this is not rocket science stuff. So make your systems as, as flat and simple as humanly possible. And these catastrophic failures are you know, going to go away 90% of the time. So... That I think is a, is a really good, uh, really good way of looking at this. Let me see. The other thing is, you know, just take time for yourself. So take vacations. Uh, one of the things I do at the beginning of the year, and unfortunately I can't do this right now because of COVID, but at the beginning of the year, like lay out when you're going to go on vacation. So just look at the calendar and say, okay, my kids are in school here. Or I can take time off here, but lay all that out and then leave. Absolutely. Tell yourself these days, vacations are going to happen, start buying the tickets, do whatever you need to, and then take the time off that is necessary for you 
to be able to, you know, get out there and, and have a good time and then rejuvenate and come back and really work hard. I, I think we as attorneys just don't do that nearly as often as we should. And I think a lot of it really is this idea that we just don't have enough money to do it, which is another reason you got to get paid hundred percent. Cause when you get paid hundred percent, you're, I mean, you're, yeah, you're taking vacations. Let's, let's put it that way. Another thing I would say is on the systems management part, when it comes to money and how to kind of lay out the money on a monthly basis and where allocation should go for things like taxes and so on, there's a book called Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. I've talked about this before uh, when I give these presentations. It's a great book for kind of law firm accounting. It's not law firm specific, but you know business accounting in general, but I've used it for a long time. It's pretty simple stuff. It takes a little while to get used to, probably about three months. And then after that, it takes about five to 10 minutes to implement every month. It will show you exactly where your money's going and you tell your money where to go in certain percentage allocations. And then it allows you as you grow as a law firm to change those allocations to best fit your situation, right? So you, you pay yourself more at the beginning and then as revenues increase, you're taking more on draws instead of on wages. Like it just sets everything out. It's not accounting per se at all. Uh, I don't know how to read accounting. Uh, only accountants know how to read accounting. So this is like really super simple stuff, but it gets your money right. It's kind of like Dave Ramsey for, for law firms. You just know exactly what's going on. It's step-by-step -step process. Fantastic book. I, I usually have about 10 on hand and I'll give them out to lawyers whenever they, whenever they ask for them. So that's about it. All right. I think we are good. Thank you so much for your time today. Okay. It's fantastic. Thanks everybody. Appreciate Thank you. it. Oh, do you have any questions or you, you want to talk to me, ask me anything at all? Totally fine with that. My email is Marco, M-A-R-C-O at utdivorceattorney.com. So Marco at utdivorceattorney.com. You have anything at all, feel free to email me and uh, I'll help you however I can. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.